We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. I'm Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with the chess world's best players, promoters, and educators about their lives, careers, current projects, and best practices. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. Hello, Perpetual Chess listeners. We have an exciting guest this week. He's uh, up and coming, yet already there, chess star india's number three player around number 33 in the world depending on which day you check the ratings but definitely making a lot of noise and doing some incredible things grandmaster vita gujarati vita thanks for joining us thanks thanks for having me in oh my pleasure so it speaks to how much of a fan i am of yours both uh both of your chess and how you present yourself that you've got me up here at uh 6 in the morning on a sunday um <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Like a lot of chess players, I'm not really a morning person, but when I have the chance to talk to a player of your statue, stature, excuse me, I felt like uh, I should take that opportunity. Thanks a lot. So you've been a busy guy. I follow you on, on Facebook. You've been a lot more active recently in terms of keeping your fans posted of what you're doing, and you just came back from this exhibition tournament in China, this rapid tournament. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about that experience? 
Yeah, I, I, I was playing a rapid event in China. Uh, it was The format was like, there's a world team, which consists of young uh, young players and uh, the China's best team, like the top five. So, uh, it was a very interesting match. We played uh, from 3rd April, something like this. Uh, 6th April, sorry. From 6th April. Uh, actually, Chinese team played much better than the world team, clearly, I mean. They were dominating and we never had the lead. We were tied at some point, but we never even had the lead. So, they won uh, quite deservingly. And you guys had a pretty strong team. You had Grandmasters Duda, Shanklin, back row. Uh, but playing against China's top five, I guess you were at a slight rating disadvantage, even even with a team like that. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I can just tell you one thing. Like, uh, their lowest rated player was still higher, higher rated than our highest rated players. So that says it all, I think. Wow. Yeah. In and terms of dating. <laughs> yeah. Although, again, you guys are all so strong that you were probably still fairly close together. But yeah, China's got, along with India, China's got some super strong young players. And you guys didn't bring your top five overall. Although, um, I mean, excuse me, you didn't. You did, it wasn't it wasn't India's top five versus China's top five. You were the lone Indian representative, yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what was the rest of the experience like? Did you get to do any sightseeing or like uh, playing blitz with your fellow Grandmaster brethren? It was a lot of fun, actually. Uh, the people in China they were very friendly and they were uh, great hosts. I must say, uh, they even took me around to have a look around the city and it was very nice and in general I mean I always whenever I go to China I uh, although the travel is painfully long but I really like it there because the people they are like very uh, friendly and they respect chess players that's the most important and that's the main reason why I go to China excellent yeah and chess of course is doing quite well in India there you've got yourself and of course the legend Vishyanand and so many up-and-coming players in addition to the established grandmaster so how do you compare the chess culture in India to what you see when you visit China um, it's an interesting question actually I think um, I think uh, in terms of average rating they might be higher if I'm not wrong but uh, I think if we see the next generation, like the number of talents which they're coming, I think India is much ahead this way because uh, they do have some players. They have, and the common thing about both of the countries is like we both have a lot of underrated players. So whenever I meet some uh, some of my European friends, they always say that they hate playing against uh, Indians or Chinese who are like 22, 2300 because that's not their real rating and they're just uh, much, much stronger than that. I think you can draw many parallels um, when you compare these two. But uh, otherwise, I think uh, now uh, if you consider the main team, I think we are very evenly matched. So I think if there's a match India versus China, which I think will happen this year, it'll be a lot of fun to watch. Do you mean that will happen at the Olympiad? Well, uh, that and also they usually organize match with uh, like Russia versus China and India versus China. So it, it's quite likely that it might happen this year. Just as, as like a standalone match? Yeah, as a standalone match, yeah. 
Okay. And and the Olympiad is on my list of topics to discuss because I've also seen on your Facebook page that you guys have already been training a bit. So it seems like you might be ahead of the curve or at least a bit more public about uh, the team's preparation for, for what's coming up later this year. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, we had a very nice uh, training session and uh, it, it's the first time that uh, I've... Uh, like interacted with Anand in this way, like in chess wise, um, and he was there in the camp. And uh, overall, it was uh, so nice. We were just like getting to uh, know each other better and stuff like that. We also looked at some chess. We did some other activities. Of course, we are taking this year's uh, Olympiad very seriously. That's why uh, we had this training camp, and I'm glad that the federation uh, managed to. Uh, do it um, so much uh, in advance so it it really helps i think nice and yeah and, and let me guess anan was a total jerk and not very impressive in analysis <laughs> i'm glad i'm glad you got that, that. <laughs> i'm glad that you got that that was a joke because you know every time every time we talk to someone of your stature who's had a chance to cross paths with him they of course have nothing but good things to say about obviously you know, his chess reputation speaks for itself, but also just how he carries himself and presents himself as a sportsman. So, Yeah, definitely. He's very nice and humble. And he was very friendly. So I never felt like, you know, he's, oh my God, Anand, something like this during the game. So he made sure that uh, we feel comfortable around him. And uh, talking about that, I, I don't remember a person who spoke negatively about him. I mean, that's uh, quite a riddle. I mean, I have to find someone yet. I'm Everybody is so positive about him, and correctly so. Yeah, and I don't know if you guys were just being nice to the to the older gentleman, but your buddy Sagar Shah was covering the training a little bit, and I, someone had a quote that said, you guys were doing lots of calculation exercises, and Anand always got there first <laughs> in terms of solving the puzzles. Yeah, I mean, he, he's very sharp, uh, and uh, everybody knows that, I mean, when he's attacking, he's just... Uh, yeah. Like at his uh, peak, yeah. So, yeah, he was uh, very sharp during the camp. And I think not just in calculation, we also played some games with each other and that was more fun, yeah. <laughs> nice. Mostly blitz or did you play some training games or what? I can't reveal all the details. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, we're, we're really, all the chess fans are really excited for the Olympiad. So how do you handicap uh, various teams' chances this year? Um... I think USA has uh, on paper one of the strongest teams and also I think Russia will bring their A team but uh, they have not shown uh, their uh, best game I feel so far like um, they all, we always expect them to do well and uh, I don't think they've uh, got gotten a goal since quite some time yes and if this time with Anand coming into the team, I think we are we have changed place actually. Usually when we go, we are the underdogs, but I think now it's just impossible to call us the underdogs. Yeah, it's very hard when you think of any of the three teams of Russia, the United States, and India. It's hard to think of any of those teams as like the scrappy underdog without much of a chance. I mean, there's just so many amazing players on every team. Yeah, also China, I think, will be one of the main competition. Yeah, and you posted a picture, speaking of China, of you hanging out with uh, Wei Ye. Mm -hmm. uh, did you guys get a chance to play some Blitz? 
No, we we played a lot of games in the tournament. So okay, yeah. So so rest in between. Yeah, but I did play a few games uh, with my own teammates, and we got along well. Made some new friends as well, and yeah, I mean, Vey. I think the problem is uh, he doesn't know English so well, so it's uh, the conversations are very limited. But <laughs> that's how it is. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I'm sure he's working on it. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, so one thing that uh, I am Sagar Shah of Chessbase India. Uh, shout out to him and thanks for for his help arranging this. Uh, mentioned that I should definitely ask you about is a new sponsorship. So what's the story with that? Well, I'm um, now. I, I actually last year I had a pretty great run. I was around. I started around twenty six seventy or something. I don't know something like that. And then I played really well. I had very consistent performances and I managed to win bronze in Asian Championship. And I had a good performance in World Cup when I crossed 2700. So I definitely felt that I'm now playing good chess, and I just want to take it uh, to the next level. Like now, I, my peak rating was something like 2723, and now I I'm aiming at uh, the top top ten spots. So basically, I wanted to build a team around me, and because all the top professionals they work really hard. So and um, it's not easy to compete uh, without you know proper team and just working alone so that's why i was looking for uh, sponsors where i can build a team and um, make a big jump from uh, this mediocre 2700 <laughs> to <laughs> top 10 places yeah well a lot of listeners will be rooting for you so could you break down for us how does it work once you decide like okay i you know you you have a plan in place you know that you you'd like to to hire some people to help you so what's the next step in terms of finding a sponsor well uh i'm not really sure uh, because um i'm good at chess but i'm not so good at such things and <laughs> Yeah, that's that's, why that's sort of why that. why I was curious. I mean, you're a young man, you know, 23 years old, and obviously like amazing at chess. And um, uh, but stuff like that, like I we've talked before with other guests about how some chess players are not so good with logistics. Um, like uh, in the three part interview with Vishy Anand's wife, she talked about how she she arranges everything for him and does all of his planning, and he's gotten a little bit better with age, but he's never. He's always just like, okay, tell me where to be and when to be there, and you do everything else. So the scale of finding a team, I guess you you have people to help you with that, a project well, like yeah, that. I, mean, I have a uh, lot of friends, and I think Sagar he's been uh, he's helping me out a lot, and uh, otherwise, like uh, like seconds coaches, I'm in touch with many of them. So. That's not an issue, but yeah, I, I can relate to what Anand says. I mean, I really hate the paperwork, yeah. so I really can't do that. I can't yeah. stand it. And there's so much of it because you you guys travel so much at, at your level. Yeah, exactly. So like, um, and also chess is not an easy game, yeah. So you have no energy left for such things. Yeah, this is true. Also, it's just a fancy way of saying that I'm lazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe lazy or conserving your energy for uh, for studying chess. Let's go with that uh, definition. So, yeah. so do you have a sponsor lined up at this point? Well, um, I have a company in India, um, ONGC. They, uh, it's a bit complicated how it is in India, but I can say they are kind of like sponsors, yes, that I can say. But... Uh, 
it's not on a very large scale for like i think building a team i think you would need uh, more uh, corporate kind of sponsorship so i'm looking for uh, for that i'm approaching some companies and stuff like that and uh, trying to see if i can build a team just for one year also like i think if i the problem is usually i work mostly alone and there's there are some limitations like how much you can do yourself so if you have some people around you who can help you out i think i don't know a single top player who doesn't have a team around them so it just really says that you need that to uh go at the very top and that's what i'm uh, striving for and that the first step for that is to look for sponsorship as it is not really let's say uh, not really simple without it yeah that makes sense and the timing like you say seems good because you're exactly this is the time uh if i get it after 2 3 years then it won't make any much of sense but right now that's i'm like more very energetic and uh, i have a lot of ambitions so if i get one now i think i can really do justice to it that would be awesome and congratulations by the way on qualifying for the tata steel masters next year i'm sure that's one event you want to put a lot of prep in for thank you yeah it's uh I was looking forward to it. I'm like already looking forward to it and uh, thinking about it, but of course it's too early to start its preparations because I have also many other tournaments lined up. But yeah, that's uh, one of the most uh, elite level tournaments, and the good showing there would uh, make me happy. Yeah. So for listeners who don't know, I think a lot will, but. There's uh, every year Tata Steel hosts a beautiful tournament, and there's a challenger section which has many grandmasters, but not quite in the top twenty in the world, or at least peaking at the top twenty in the world yep. level. And the winner of that tournament gets to go to the masters section, which is just an elite tournament, elitist of the elite every single year. And by winning uh, the challenger section this year, which you won by a clear point, right? Yeah, um, you now qualify to play in the Masters, and I, I love that format, and I think a lot of other chess fans do too, because we <clears throat> we enjoy seeing the top players in action, but it's nice to see some different players mixed in as well. Exactly. I mean, uh, sometimes uh, the top players they have played against each other so much, so sometimes it gets really dull. I mean, they know each other inside out, so it's nice to have a mix field, and it was funny. Like I saw the results and. Carlson actually scored points against Wesley and uh, the least rated, like from below, like four players. Uh, I don't know how to say it, like the last seeds, and uh, he drew against all the other top players. So uh, he will be definitely be happy to have them again. <laughs> right. And s- speaking of Carlson, you um, famously played him in Isle of Man uh, with the black pieces and gave him quite a run and ended up with a draw. So I know that uh, Sagar has already interviewed you a bit about this, but for listeners who may not have heard it or having had a little bit more time to reflect, could you tell us a little bit about what it was like to, to play and analyze with the world champion? Yeah, I was... Uh very excited to play actually when i saw the pairings um, because um, yeah you don't play against the world champion every day yeah and uh, not against such a dominant one that too and he was winning like game after game like he had just defeated the thing uh, he was on final out of 6 or something like that so he was like i thought he's just team rolling the tournament and uh, i might be meeting him at the worst moment but 
but I didn't think of uh, the result too much actually. I was just so excited to play and I I managed to play really well. And but okay, it was a pity to um, not realize that I was slightly better in the um, last few moves during the last few moves. And I thought okay, I just have to simplify and make a draw. But apparently, I was even slightly better. So that's one regret I have. But yeah, overall, it was a lot of fun and exciting to play against him. Yeah, I can't. I can't imagine. So when you're playing someone like that, does it cloud your analysis at all? If it's your first time playing the world champion, are you able to just calculate as clearly as you ever do, or do you uh, tend? Can you get distracted by sort of the the stage that you're on? Well, I think before a game, it uh, you overthink actually. But when you start playing, uh, I don't think it affects so much. Maybe at some critical junctures, but. Uh, after you sit at the board, you're just playing. Your competitiveness comes back, and you just like. And I think no chess player likes to lose, and so you bring your best game right there. So, I think before a game, there might be some nervousness and uh, something like that. But when the game starts, I think I was uh, not nervous at all. Excellent. And I know that that you you've spoken about how that result and the fact that not only that you drew, but that you, you had chances for more at points, that's given you confidence going forward to, to really push your pedal to the metal. Yeah. So, so we're, so Vita, I, I host this, this chess podcast comes out every week. Um, so leading up to the candidates tournament, I felt like we were talking about it, previewing it every week. I mean, naturally, as chess fans, we're excited to see chess history unfold before our eyes and see who's going to get to play for the World Championship. And now that we know who's going to be playing Magnus, we're basically going to be talking about the World Championship for every week for the next six months, or at least until we get tired of it, and then maybe we'll take a break in the middle before it actually starts, and then when it ramps up, we'll start to do some more previews. But since you're, you've got a lofty perch uh, as you know, an, an elite player yourself. What's what's your take on this matchup? Uh, what do you, how do you rate Fabiano's chances versus uh, Magnus Carlsen? Well, Fabiano, he really surprised me. I mean, not in the candidates, but in Grenke. I mean, I thought like after you play such a tough tournament, like for thirteen rounds, and when you win it, I think your mindset is like, okay, now I just want to relax and I want to chill a bit, I want to enjoy the moment, and you're not really in the competitive state of mind to play another tournament but he really surprised me by playing really well I mean only in the first game he was in trouble but after that uh, he scored three more wins and that's just excellent and I was really surprised um, so yeah I mean uh, he it will be not easy money for Carlson for sure and if I had to uh, put odds I would say it's fifty-fifty. Okay, that's, that's a bold statement, but uh, <laughs> I mean, with the current form, I think that's I would the say same 50/50. thing that Yaroslav uh, Zherbuk said. I think it was it's the exact same odds that he gave. Which, to me, I I mean, okay, my my opinion should be discounted compared to to those of uh, guys like yourself. But I mean, the fact that Magnus has draw odds has to give him a slight edge, doesn't it? Uh, slight edge to whom? To Magnus because he has draw odds in the match. Like if it's like if it's twelve twelve, he retains his title. No, there'll be a tiebreak, right? Uh okay. We should look into this before before we discuss any further. Um, I guess yeah, of course there there'd be a rapid tiebreaker as there was last time. 
um yeah exactly i mean he won against karyak in a tie break and i i at least i'm not aware that it was changed okay you are on the record as having worked on anish giri's team um and he was uh he was publicly working with kramnik were you were you involved with any of the candidates uh this year no i was not uh i i, I was just a spectator a very uh enthusiastic spectator nothing nice. more than that <laughs> yes just like just like the rest of us yes <laughs> <laughs> so what what's it like to study and work with uh gm giri uh, it was very nice i think the main factor was that we are of the same age uh although he's married and has a kid but <laughs> yeah we are of the same age <laughs> so we got along well he's a very nice guy very friendly and um so yeah it was um, very pleasant working with him i learned a lot clearly chess wise and after working with him my rating increased a lot as well so i got some uh, positives from him and yeah it was uh, new because i had not worked with any other top player before that so there were a lot of things that i didn't know and it makes a difference to watch it uh, watch it closely yeah and you and Anish are roughly the same age and you were the former uh under 14 world champion do you guys go like way back to world youth tournaments and stuff like that no it's funny that i've never seen anish in any of the world youth events i asked him that and i don't remember what he replied but yeah he never even played i think so i have absolutely no recollection from the childhood <laughs> it's really surprising that not even a single tournament I think he was changing federation so much that huh. <laughs> no to uh, he didn't have time to play and already he was extremely strong when he was 14 15 so it didn't make sense for him to play after that but yeah before that uh, we never even met each other oh interesting <laughs> and anish of course in addition to being an amazing player is uh, a bit um famous for for his twitter game he's pretty funny on twitter and le- less uh hesitant than some other grandmasters to sort of uh you know uh take i don't know i wouldn't know if i would go so far as say take shots but poke fun at some of the other elite players so did he give you twitter lessons as well as the uh chess instruction that you guys exchanged well uh like i was thinking after the tata steel tournament that both the winners anish and magnus they had very high level of twitter game yeah Maybe they do for success so i was thinking that i have to up my game as well yeah i'm really falling back there in my well, next uh, next year's preparation i have to really <laughs> well you've definitely upped your facebook game so that's a good start <laughs> yeah but i think the twitter is the key i mean for world top 10 i think that's it twitter so uh So what can we do? I guess you just need to to sit down and come up with some material, try to carve out some jokes. Um But it's funny. Actually Anish, he's exactly the same as he's on Twitter as he's in real life. It's just him. He's uh he he likes to have some fun from time to time and uh, like even when I win, he never really says like uh, congratulations. He'll always twist it and say it in a different way. So that's uh, that's his way and nice. I don't really mind. <laughs> yeah, well I I enjoy it a lot. I mean, I felt like Yeah, I mean, there I, should be some fun. There should be some entertainment value, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah, sometimes I feel like he gets a little too much blowback. I mean, I've talked before about how I think the the whole thing about him drawing is 
uh, overdone at this point. But also, I mean, chess is it should be fun, and it's all in good fun if you're on social media. It's supposed to be exactly, social. Yeah. So, and I never think he crossed any line in uh, social uh, media. So yeah. I thought it's always it was always in good humor and with no hard feelings. It's just uh, his way of uh, making it more fun, more entertaining. Yeah. So and in I term- think both sorry, go on. Mine uh, have also said that they just uh, like that was more interesting than all the previews they had read about the candidates. The Twitter yeah. horror was more right. fun. <laughs> yeah, I was just excited that it was like out in the open that he's on Kramnik's team for this tournament because chess fans like myself, I, we find that stuff interesting. Um, I mean, I'm sure at the top levels, it can be a pretty insular world and you always wonder who's working with who. And sometimes it's shrouded in secrecy. Sometimes it isn't, but it w- it's interesting to try to put the pieces together. Yeah. I mean, I see the positives of both sides. Like, uh, like if you tell you're in someone's team, maybe it can be intimidating to them. On the other hand, they know they might think that, okay, he might play this opening or that opening because his second has played that, something like this. So, I mean, but I think it's for a spectator. I also like to know who is with who and when there is some clarity. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I like to know as well. So, switching subjects, Vita, our listeners for Perpetual Chess are always interested in improving at chess and a lot of them... Uh, like myself, are adults with jobs and responsibilities. So we may only have a limited time to improve. Now, you've got a YouTube video with a great uh, list of book recommendations. Your enthusiasm for chess books really shines through. But rather than just talk about that again, I wanted to highlight one point that I saw you mention, which was the importance of uh, studying intensely when you only have a little bit of time. Um, you, You mentioned that if... If you're studying and you have the engine on and you're going back and forth with the engine or if you're on Facebook or if you're checking your email, you're really not studying. And I think that's an important thing for people to keep in mind. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I myself forget that point usually. Like, for example, yesterday I was watching the Commonwealth Games because I like other sports as well. And I was watching the games and I was trying to prepare. And I realized that it's just our human mind is not made for multitasking. It's just... I mean, I like pretended that I practiced chess, but after one hour, I realized that the output was just nothing. So, yeah, what I said was like, uh, it's very important to have focused work when you have little time because um, in this world, I think it's very uh, the work which is easy and uh, doesn't require a lot of effort can be easily replicated. So, and the work which is valued the most is. Uh, which is not so easy. So, if that makes any sense. Um, so, I think it's just important to have like focused work when you have little time and try to gain uh, the most output. Because sometimes we just like uh, watch movies or even like while listening songs. I can't practice. I have some. Uh, yeah, I just can't multitask actually. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I know that writers, for example, I can't remember the name of the program, but there's a program that writers use that just shuts off the rest of your internet, so that when you're, yeah, so that when you're writing online, it won't allow you to do anything else. Um, so it seems like chess players could benefit from that as well, because yeah, I know, I know a few players who do that. They're like, uh, they don't, uh, they are not so much uh, internet addicted. So and. Then, they're successful, so probably say something about them. Yeah, 
And what's your general training regimen like? So you've mentioned that you're really motivated right now. You feel like this is sort of this is your window of opportunity to really make a push to go from top 30 to, to top 10, hopefully. So how would you approach your studies? Let's say you're able to get enough funding to get a small team in place. Like, how would you budget your time? Well, um, right now, uh, I'm... I just came from a tournament, but still I'm, I think, uh, putting in some hours. But usually when I'm uh, training very seriously, it just goes from morning till evening. And uh, just because I like it. Like, once I'm in the zone, once I'm focused, uh, I really go try to uh, go deeper. But sometimes, there are some times where I really uh, can't focus and... Like I look at chess for like half an hour, then probably some YouTube will come up, some distractions. Right. <laughs> I think uh, many people have the same issue, like the problem of procrastination. And uh, I'm also vulnerable to it, but when I'm serious and when I'm in training, I just uh, cut it out. I just go in the zone and uh, I work very seriously. So it depends. Usually when I'm at home, um, it's a more laid back attitude. But also, I'm always thinking about the game, so uh, that's always there. Anish <laughs> says that I'm lazy usually, huh. but yeah, well, I think it's just uh, he ran out of uh, things to say, so right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> needed a new job for you. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, do you have a particular aspect of your game that you're focusing on right now? Is there an area that you feel like you need to improve above others? Uh, not really. I mean, uh, there's no particular thing. I think overall, I'm just interested. Uh, like, I like to use curiosity to motivate me. Like, sometimes I'm just so interested to know why this happens. Like, even like for example, uh, Corona won the tournament. I'm just wondering, like, what was so special about his game, and some things like that. Then I'll analyze his games. I'll look at it. Um, and I'll do the same with my my games as well, just to know why this works, why this does not work. So I use this question of why a lot. Okay, that makes sense. And, and it's I'm sure at your level, so much of the game is about psycholo- psychology and about attaining peak, psychology. peak performance. I think, uh, I think it's just that I don't understand chess completely. Um, I think uh, I think many top players, if you meet them, they will also say the same that they. There's, there are still a lot of things that they don't know. So it's just a continuous process of knowing the game better. And that's what I'm trying to do. So a lot of game analysis as opposed yeah, to sort of computer work and calculation training and stuff like that? And a lot of game analysis also takes place on computer. <laughs> right. I, now it's just impossible to go without engines. It's just, um, there are some downsides to it, but... Uh, yeah, it's just like I think impossible to work without engines because your competitors have them and uh, you will feel, uh, let's say, inferior if you have not checked it. You will not be that confident. So Yeah, I've had some interesting conversations about engines because some guests on the show have stressed, especially to uh, lower rated up-and-comers or people just looking to improve the importance of not using engines immediately after a game. Um, but then others have told me off the record that, you know, grandmasters may say that, that you shouldn't do that, but they're human too. And when a game ends, they can't control themselves either. And they just want to turn on the engine and find out what they missed. 
Um, what's been your experience, both in terms of your own games and your peers? Like, are there people who are able to look at the games uh, and analyze them without even looking at an engine, or are people first figuring out what the the critical spots were, and maybe then going and studying um, without the engine? To be honest, I hate using engines. <laughs> I just hate, <laughs> but it's a sad necessity which I have to do because uh, it's. Uh, everybody else is doing it and you can't go without checking it but like I really really enjoy when after a game I'm analyzing over the board uh, with my opponent some of my friends you're just trying to look at things uh, and there are some mistakes so we take back and then we try to find some brilliant move and when you find it that joy you know yeah that's that's so beautiful I just uh, like sometimes you find some move and uh, it's so pretty. So it reminds me of the days when I was like very young, and there were not computers were not so strong. And I used to. That's why I got into chess with this for this feeling. So I really, really enjoy uh, when you can come up with yourself with such ideas. And it's very rare that you overrule an engine. So um, I think it preserves some freshness also. So yeah, I mean, if I have to give an advice. Or if I have to choose, let's say I would uh, really uh, make a world without engines, but that's not going to happen, so I have to use <laughs> them. Right. But yeah, if I have to analyze after a game without engine, I I don't mind at all. I just really enjoy that. And when you when you played Magnus uh, in Isle of Man, and you mentioned afterward that you got to do a brief post mortem with him, and that. Yeah. You know, some ideas he saw that you didn't see and some ideas you saw that he didn't see and some positions you guys didn't agree on completely, which is, of course, natural. Uh, it's nice when there's some mystery, yeah? I mean, we don't know who is right, so... Right, mystery. at least not till you turn the engine on, so... Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so that's why I was going to ask, did you guys, like, in a situation like that, would you have a moment where you might say, all right, we have to check this out on the engine, or would you avoid doing that in the immediate post-mortem? Um... I think we both eventually check with engine, but uh, I mean I don't really get it. Like um, during the game, I think we just exchange our thoughts. Like what we thought was, I think it with any player we just say, "Ah, okay, you could have played this one, but uh, there was this this problem." So then we try to think, "Ah, maybe this works." Something like this. But of course, we check with engine, and sometimes it's really depressing. It shows that how bad you played. <laughs> right. And without engines, that's a blessing that you don't know how bad you played. Yeah, I, I, can, I can definitely relate to that. So, Vita, and you've got a nice bio up on your Facebook page. Um, and you, in it, you talk about, so you won the World Youth when you were 14 years old, and then around 15, you were about uh, 2,500. So, you know, to an outsider and to a casual chess fan, obviously, you were doing quite well. Um, but you had a real struggle getting the Grandmaster title. Could you could you tell our listeners a little bit about, about that experience? Yeah, it was funny. Um, like, uh, I was 2,500 when I was 14, 15, something like this. I don't remember exactly when. I was like 25, 30, 20, something like this. But uh, I was really struggling to get GM norms. And one of the reasons was I was just so result-oriented, like, there were many instances where I came really close and then I failed. I remember some tournament where uh, I just need to win and in, in, one, in one game and okay, I'll make the norm. So I play a very good game. I'm two pawns up or something like this in an end game. And when it's really close, 
I just used to get stressed out. I used to panic, make some mistake, and end up drawing. This happened not just once, but twice, thrice, and many number of times. In one game, I was exchange up, and as soon as I became exchange up, I got excited and nervous, and I gave back the exchange in two moves. <laughs> it was. Just, I think uh, if I have to point it out, I think I was not good at handling the pressure, and that was the reason why I uh, really struggled with the grandmaster norms. And eventually, when I got it, I didn't even know that I made the gem norm. So uh, I just uh, didn't care about it after a while, and that helped me. So, ironically, you... the first gem norm I missed I was was on my 15th birthday, and I became gem on my 18th birthday. So, right, and you were you said well well north of the elo requirement by that point. You just needed the norms. Yeah, I mean now. When I look back, I find that my attitude was so silly, but okay, you learn from your mistakes. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure something like that is something a lot of chess players, if they want to push to a higher level, they they have to learn to deal with uh, whatever the challenge is. They have to learn to deal with uh, feeling the weight of the moment and sort of working through that. Yeah, it's very easy to say not to focus on the result or something like this, but when you you're in the position, you really care about it. So it's uh, some people are really natural at it, and uh, they have lots of, uh, let's say, confidence or competitive edge this way. But I think for some people, you have to develop it. So, um, do, do you feel like you do you feel like um, you learned anything tangible from the experience in terms of because obviously you've done amazing, but, you know, hopefully you've got even bigger mountains to climb. So do you think that you could be faced with a similar issue at a higher scale? Or do you feel like you've you've matured and hopefully um, you're able to just focus on the chess when you play uh, in the next few years? Well, it did happen to me again when I was uh, very close to 2700. And I made a bunch of draws and then I dropped to 2690 or something. So it happened again, but... I had learned, so it was easier to overcome, like, uh, comparatively, like, then I realized that I should not just focus on that. Rating is just, uh, it'll happen when I have the strength. And I know many people who are, like, extremely strong, but similar kind of attitude uh, stops them. So, uh, I think one thing which will help is a very honest, brutal evaluation of yourself and to be completely objective because when you yourself are playing, uh, emotions come into the game and uh, it disrupts your objectivity. So I guess if you can just uh, be more objective and truthful about the situation to yourself, I guess it helps. I mean, if I have to give an advice, I would give that. Yeah, and it's the classic uh, easier said than done. But it, at least uh, when your games aren't going on, it can be a lot of chess players struggle in particular with being objective during their games. But at least when the game's over you can at least pick apart the game and, you know, compare what you were thinking at the time to what uh, appears to be true in hindsight and then uh, adjust your psychology from there or at least try to. Yeah, I mean, it's very easy. For example, when I'm watching the top uh, games uh, and I'm a spectator, I'm looking at it, I see the moves, okay, this is so easy. I mean, right. just, this is so easy. Why don't I make it? But when I'm playing myself, I realize, okay, it's not so easy. So Because I think those two are different things, to be in a relaxed state of mind and to be in the game. So that's why I just can't comment on the players because I know myself that it's not easy. 
Yeah, and for sure. I wish I could uh, have the same level of objectivity out from uh, when I'm playing myself. And I guess it can be developed over the years. Yeah, probably there's no substitute for experience, I would guess. Yeah, definitely that helps. Um, so you mentioned in terms of discussing this uh, this push to get the GM title and in terms of other sort of plateaus you've hit that every once in a while, like every chess player, you've had a few thoughts of uh, wanting to quit chess. Um, it's something I, I can certainly relate to and I think others as well. So how do you push through moments like that where it just feels so, you know, chess just feels so daunting and so um, so uh, intractable in terms of how to, to push through a plateau? Yeah, the thing is, I felt like quitting chess sometimes, but it was just an emotional reaction. For example, uh, I remember when I had like a plus six position against Widler, and I spoiled it, uh, and I drew. And because of that, we drew the match with Russia or lost the match, something like this, in World Team Championship. That was extremely painful for me. So in a moment of desperation, I messaged my friend and said, okay, that's it, I'm going to quit chess. Yeah. But okay, quickly after uh, one good night's sleep, you get to your senses. And then you realize that, okay, that was just a complete emotional reaction. And uh, I mean, I know few people who are like, they can't, uh, they don't know what else to do. So, right. <laughs> apart from chess. So, have you yeah. ever taken an extended break from chess? Uh, in recent times, no, actually. I don't remember taking a big break. Um, but when I was young, uh, school made me take breaks, so I don't know which is useful to sometimes uh, get away from the game, try to enjoy a bit otherwise. And But I think at the professional level, it doesn't really happen. You can have like a one-week vacation or something like this, but uh, top players, I think, are always thinking about the game. So I, I, at least I don't plan to take a break in recent time good and uh, what else you've mentioned that you're a sports fan if you when you do spend time away from the chessboard uh, how do you like to spend your time oh I love to play all kind of sports I mean just uh, they should if someone asks like okay do you want to play this game I never say no I don't recall recall saying no to anybody but I like uh, basket uh, basketball a lot I really enjoy the game. I'm not that good at it, of course, but I'm not that tall, but uh, <laughs> I really enjoy the game. I like badminton. Again, I'm very average at it, but just I enjoy playing. I like to swim. Um, the only game I have not tried yet is tennis. Uh, but I you did. But solid. you mentioned that you you read Nadal's biography or autobiography. Yeah. I like to read uh, sports uh, biographies because I think I find I draw inspiration from it, and uh, of course, I mean the games are different, but I think a lot of the struggle or the path is the same. So I'm sure. I mean, I find that I can learn a lot from uh, other people's success, and uh, I try try to draw inspiration, and it really helps me. I don't know about others, but uh, some people don't find it that useful, but Personally, I just uh, like to read other people's story and uh, maybe if I can relate to it, pick up some points. Was there anything in particular from Nadal that, that you picked up? 
yeah, I mean, uh, many things. One of the things was uh, he stressed it quite a lot in his uh, book that he never underestimated uh, his opponent because of his trainer. He Like, every game he played against um, low-rated, like, low-lower seats, he played as if he was playing world number one. And I think it's not a thing uh, which he just says. I think he even does it. Like, when you see him play, you can see that intensity uh, in his shots, in his game, in his pace. I mean, you can just feel it. So, I mean, that's really not easy to do. I mean, to take every game and play with, like, complete uh, energy and enthusiasm. Just, I think it's not so easy. And uh, that's one thing to take away from it. Yeah, and you're probably at a level. I know you've done pretty well in some of these big open tournaments, and you're kind of at a level where you have a good chance of winning those tournaments, and you kind of need to make some hay in them in order to ascend to the sort of final level where you get invitations to the elite round robins. So knowing how to take every game extremely seriously, I would gather, is an important skill for for you in particular at this point. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I'm very competitive in any case. So I hate losing. I think nobody likes it, but I hate it more than others. Uh, so I really uh, try to give my all. But uh, it, there is some difference. Sometimes you relax, I guess. But yeah, I mean, I'm. I just the point I wanted to say was like I'm competitive, and even if I'm playing a lower-rated player. I don't take it lightly. That's good. Yeah, and it shows in, in your results. <laughs> so, speaking of your results, Vida, I've only got one or two more questions, but one of them is we were talking before we recorded briefly, and you mentioned what your next tournament was. Could could you uh, let our listeners know like what, what you've got planned? Like, What events do you have firmly on your calendar coming up? Um, I'm... I'm going to play in uh, a short uh, round-robin tournament in Sikkiman. Uh, it's in Sweden. It's uh, six players and five round round-robin. Um, and after that, I'll play in Poikovsky in Russia. And uh, after that, I'll also play one open tournament in uh, Denmark, ExtraCon Open. So I have a lot of tournaments lined up. And like... I think I believe that uh, I uh, play much better in closed events rather than uh, open because that uh, suits my style. And I think I played like four closed events and I've won three of them. So, um, so and I think I've never won an open tournament. Okay. I mean, come like second or third maybe, but I never won it. So, I'm more excited for the closed events. <laughs> <laughs> So, do you know who else is in the field in, in the tournament yeah, in Sweden? Yeah, it's a very interesting lineup. Um, there's Morozevich, uh, so you can expect some lot of uh, funky games. Yeah, uh, the le- the legendary GM. Yes, also the other players are uh, very fighting players like Ayantari, Grandilius, Benjamin, and um, Linus Johansson. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Uh, yeah, so it's a uh, very interesting field. I think most of them are very young. I mean, Aryan, Grandilius, uh, Gledura, 
everyone uh, they are all young people and there is Morozevich so it's a very interesting lineup yeah that that should be exciting and that's in early may yeah that's from 4th to 8th may okay and then looking farther out i guess you know you have the olympiad do you have anything else like circled on your calendar for for later in the year beyond those three events uh i'm playing in some leagues and i'll also play in uh, european club cup and some other events i might play in isle of man uh, nice. i did like i really like that place and the organizer is very nice and uh, is a i i like that place a lot and i have good memories from it so i'll try to make that happen um and apart from that yeah i mean these are few of the tournaments that i plan to play otherwise actually i'll uh, i want to even make chess uh, more popular so i'll probably do something uh, not for myself but uh, something i could do for the community that's great. Yeah, and you're for listeners who are not following Vidit on social media, I definitely recommend checking out his Facebook page. You you share more than a lot of top players do. You I mean you you don't just say, "Oh, I'm here now." You actually reflect on the events a little bit and show a few pictures. So, thank you for for doing that. Thanks a lot. Um, and so last but not least, Vita, do you have any stories of like brush? I mean, you've, you've had so many brushes with, you know, legendary chess players from seeing Ananda at the Olympiad to playing Carlson. But do you have any other uh, like standout stories from your time traveling and playing? Uh, I have a story. I don't know if uh, someone will like it, but oh, yeah, that's, I, that's the perfect beginning to a story. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Anand was uh, in the camp and I think, uh, well, let's say someone asked me, uh, how is he as a person? Like, he was there in the camp and he asked me, like, how is he, uh, he's going to come today and uh, what should we do? Something like this. Then I said, yeah, he's very nice and uh, he's a complete gentleman, of course, but uh, just don't start a conversation yourself. I think uh, he doesn't like it and he might get angry. So just uh, whenever he says something, then only you reply. And I trolled one person for some time and then finally <laughs> I gave in and then said that, okay. Then he realized that probably I was pulling his leg. And <laughs> right. <laughs> so basically, yeah, sometimes I can become a troll. I think <laughs> that's, it's the punish. <laughs> that's, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. Under, under Anish's tutelage, you've, you've learned. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, of course, Anand doesn't mind, and I was uh, just pulling his leg. That's Anand funny, yeah. When you told that story, I was thinking he would make for a tough podcast guest in that case, because uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't, wouldn't be able to ask him anything. <laughs> no, no, no. And I think Anand doesn't know that I pulled this prank, of course. Okay. Yeah, awesome. But, yeah. Okay, well, Vita, uh I'm guessing if uh, listeners want to follow your adventures and cheer you on, your Facebook page is the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I'm most active on Facebook right now. Okay, until until you uh, until you get your Twitter GM norms at least. <laughs> I'll try to get my rating to 2800 on Twitter as well. Yeah, just make sure you, you power through the slump. <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> Excellent. All right, well, thanks so much for your time. This was uh, a lot of fun for me, so I really appreciate it. And, you know, I'll be watching and rooting for you in uh, upcoming events. Yeah, thanks for having me. I had a uh, lot of fun discussing as well. Excellent. Okay, take care of you. Thank you. 
special thanks goes out to my Patreon and PayPal Perpetual Partners. Without the generous support of the chess community, Perpetual Chess would not exist in its current form. I would like to thank Adam Vrancouls, Adrian Gutierrez, Alex Pejas, Chris Wainscott, Chad Hilton, Chris Lott, Christopher Wood, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Chris Flanagan, Daniel Naylor, Daniel Schaefer, Gary Andrews, Greg Shahadi, James Bonastia, Jason Dunbar, Jennifer Valens, Jeffrey Martello, John Fernandez, Jen Shahadi, Jen Scream, Jerry Wells, John Thompson, Johnny McMenamin, Kelly Palmer, Krishna Gopalakrishnan, Lorraine Dore, Matthew Passy, Macaulay Peterson, Matthew Tedesco, Pascal Charbonneau, Paul Sweeney, Peter Lux, Peter Merrifield, Randall Temple, Ricky Grahava, Rob Lazorchek, Robert Steiner, Tatyava Brahamian, Thomas Stanix, Thomas Tachenko, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, Todd Bryant, Tony Rotella, Victor Vrancouz, Zhao Cheng, and last but not least, Zhivko Stoyanov. Thanks, everyone. I'll catch you all next week. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.